This is Carol Steves, and you're listening to Reality Ranch Podcast. Welcome to the 20th episode. Today is Saturday, September 26th, 2020. If this is your first listen to my show, I share the writings of Billy Meyer, Figu, and others associated with this most important mission. On this program, you will hear interviews and discussions with various people involved in what has been named the Silent Revolution of Truth. This is an effort through the teaching and the contact notes to free humanity from the overly materialistic thinking, ignorance, and violence largely brought about by religion. Today I'm reading the fourth meditation from 77 Meditations, taken from Meditation from Clear Visibility, High and Highest Meditation, pages 239 to 240. This booklet was put together by Figu Landis Group Canada and can be purchased on their website. In my consciousness attitude, I change myself to the positive and utilize my creational natural power in me for this. My guest today is Sanyan Derrick. Sanyan is a FIGU passive member and part of the Ohio Interest Group. Sanyan moved to the USA about 20 years ago and is from the former Yugoslavia. Okay. So, how are you today, anyway? Uh, I'm doing quite well. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I um still processing vegetables <laughs> from yeah, my so, garden. Yeah. Yeah. This week we were supposed to meet in Switzerland, but somehow things turned uh, changed. Uh, where I guess Skype will have to do now. Yeah. You mean you and I were supposed to meet in Switzerland? Yeah, we had a uh, plan to be all at uh, Sinai Silver Standard, remember, earlier this year, and then things changed yeah, that's quickly. Right. That's right. And I heard that um, <clears throat> they uh, have opened it back up to visitors. Have you heard that? Yeah. Um, I'd rather stay more cautious and stay home. Oh, same. Well, especially because it's you fly all the way over there. You can only go on a Sunday. You can only meet for two hours. You have to wear a mask and behind a screen. And I understand. I I agree. But I'd rather wait for a while, too, before I go. Maybe next year. Yeah, maybe next year. Uh, I do think the United States is probably in a worse spot um, than Europe because, you know, I think we're still spreading quite a bit of the virus. So, you know, it's better to be safe, I guess, and not spread it back to Europe. (laughs) Absolutely. what are we still have uh, over a thousand people a day dying in our uh, country? Yeah, yeah, just yep. It, I think it fluctuates average. between like eight hundred to a little over a thousand when I check it. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it's not a big deal to most people. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I prefer it to be safe than sorry. So. Oh, same here. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you live in, uh, do you live in Cleveland, actually, or outside yeah, of Cleveland? Fairly close. I live in a suburb of, a suburb of Cleveland, uh, Richmond mm -hmm. Heights. Um, I've been here about the past 20 years or so. And um, this is essentially my new home because I didn't actually grow up here. Um, I grew up in Europe, in a country that uh, does not exist anymore, fortunately. Uh, but uh, the reason why is because there was a civil war and as a kid, I was uh, essentially a refugee of a civil war, uh, moved around a lot and uh, ended up here. And uh, now I made this my new home. And yeah, that's great. And, and is it hard being a, a, a refugee in the U.S.? Do you, can, is that what you consider yourself a refugee or? Uh, well, not immigrants? anymore. Initially, okay. I have, you know, but I feel like. Yeah. You know, I've been here 20 years now, and I've been I've accustomed myself quite well to living here. And uh, this is actually the longest place where I've lived consecutively, uh, 20 years. So to me, this is my home now. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, I moved around a lot too in the U.S., but yeah. So um, you've adjusted, and I bet it was quite a culture shock when you moved here, wasn't it? How well, yeah. old were you? Um, I would say. I think 15 or 16, uh, I was still fairly young, um, just about to start high school. And um, initially I didn't know the language quite well. I mean, I took a few courses here and there, but that doesn't help that much, I guess. You know, I could read a few signs here and there, but when it comes to actually speaking and understanding, especially with the um, accent, you know, the, so I actually learned British English in uh, the, uh, the cl uh, classes I took. So. When I came here, that's it's another world in a way. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. Some you, of our colloquialisms and things like that were different, weren't they? And oh, our yeah. ways, of turn of phrase, and expressions. We had to get used to all that. Oh yeah, it's I mean, different. I I couldn't understand anything really. So I came here, and it was all <laughs> like a brand new language to me. So, um, you know, I was placed in a classroom a classroom environment where I had to then just learn the language as I go. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I guess you pick it up after a while. And maybe since I was still fairly young at that point, it wasn't as difficult um, to pick up a language because I think that's, you know, the brain is a bit more malleable at that age still with the languages. Um, so, yeah, I guess I picked it up somewhat well. <laughs> yeah. But you speak German, don't you? Oh, uh, yeah. So um, that was actually part of the my refugee life where... Uh, four of the years, uh, actually right before I came to the United States, I lived in Germany. And it's actually the same stories where I ended up there <laughs> uh, same way. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, you. I, I had one course in Germany before I actually went to Germany. So I was like, I, I didn't know anything really. Yeah. And, um, you know, same thing. I was placed in a environment in a German classroom, same with German kids, just like anybody else. And I'm supposed to, uh, you know, get good grades, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it took a while, you know, to figure it all out, you know, and just somehow it happened that four years after that, you know, I had to find a new home because, you know, I think it was right around time when the war ended in my country, um, but we didn't really have a place to go back from one side. And on the other side, we are kind of a mixed nationality, actually, um, because, um uh, both my parents are really mixed, some even more mixed, uh, but really mixed with 
between the sides that fought in the war. You know, so then, um, you know, we feel, figured, you know, it could be kind of problematic going back there because, you know, it's, you're not really on anybody's side there. You know, you don't know, like, you know, if you're going to be discriminated against. So, you know, we just figured, let's see if we can find a better place to go. And the United States was that place. So I guess at that point, uh, that was before 9-11. Uh, mm-hmm. The United States was doing quite well overall. Um, you know, it was, you know, one of those countries which it was really well off. So you figured, yeah, this would be a you know, perfect place to go. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. And how did you end up uh, in Ohio? Um, so there was... But on one side, just choice of my parents, uh, we had a bit of a choice there, but also uh, we did have friends in Germany uh, who actually moved uh, to the United States before us. Okay. Uh, so we just came after them and we figured, you know, let's just uh, land in a spot where we know some people. You know, oh, I of, see. That's nice, yeah. though, that you were able to to move somewhere where you knew somebody. That's really tough to go to. a. I can't imagine moving to another country and not knowing anyone. That's yeah yeah the, the culture the language yeah i mean yeah. a lot of people do oh. do that because you know they sometimes, do, I know. sometimes you're forced which i think uh, happened when we moved to germany mm-hmm. um and you know we actually we knew people in germany too so we had cousins in one location there so they helped a little bit too you know but we ended up living in a whole different state there in germany and uh mm-hmm. yeah i mean so yeah, now I'm here, and this is my home. I feel American, um, you know, <laughs> I guess patriot, too, uh, you know, try to be mm-hmm. do the best, what, what I feel is the best of my country, and, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah which is, um, kind of leads us to, um, and learning to be the best person you can be, right, for your country. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? For any country, but. Um, so how did you find, uh, Billy, how did you find the information on the Meyer information? Tell me about that. Um, so I would say initially when I came across it, it was fairly normal way, which I think is something that happens quite a lot nowadays is just finding it on the uh, internet on actually YouTube. Um, it was just a random video that I came across and, um, you know, it, sparked my interest i really wanted to know more about it and that's also one of those things that i think the reason why it stuck really with me is because um it, because of the timing it came to my life and um so it was actually in my early college years where i guess i was going through a bit of a rough time initially where you know i was getting kind of stressed out with all the courses and then you know started also just getting, you know, sick and all kinds of uh, mental issues, I feel like, you know, because it was just all the stress got to me, you know, and I didn't know how to handle it at that point, you know. It was one of those, like, a big downturn for me in my life, I would say. It was just one of those, uh, what people kind of see as, a, uh, like, a, uh, like a midlife crisis, I guess, by my early 20s, <laughs> you know, where... Well, weren't you trying to work and go to school at the same time? Yeah, 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 and I think I also just kind of messed up my sleeping schedule a lot. You know, I would always stay up late, and then it really got to me where just my whole mind was like not even working anymore for a while. Where my, um, you know, just my thinking was clouded and stuff. 
And then I just said, okay, like this has got to stop. I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't go on like this anymore. Um, and at that point, I had some, you know, good skills with the internet where I, I was kind of the guy who was always, you know, finding like the movies and the music on the internet, you know, so mm-hmm. I knew how to find stuff online. Um, and that kind of started my health journey initially. So I wanted to, all right, all right how do I change my life, you know, where I'm healthy? I don't have to deal with these problems always. Right. Um, and, you know, I find a lot of good stuff, you know, and it helped me out where I quickly saw results, you know, where, you know, just, you know, figuring out like, you know, why um, sleeping cycle is so important for us, you know, and mm-hmm. just keeping us on a good energy levels. And, um, you know, I quickly realized, you know, that just how important knowledge is, you know, so that's one of those things that initially I kind of like, yeah, this, this is great. You know, like I didn't, like before that, I didn't really know, like, what is the purpose of knowledge? You know, why, why am I even going to school? You know, and I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, like that's what got me to that point where I kind of lost the will to really study in even college where I, I didn't know what, why am I going to college? You know, <laughs> like, what's the point? Um, yeah. like, why am I learning? <laughs> like, you, you know, and. I think then I kind of started to realize, yeah, you know, there's actually something beneficial to knowledge, you know, which is more practical, you know, something that I can actually apply. And, I, you know, I think it's one of those things which just click like, well, like, wow, you know, there's actually like good benefit to knowledge. It's not just like all this stuff you pick up at school that's not necessarily directly beneficial to you. Um, and once I came across that, then I wanted to see, okay, it's like, how far can I take this, you know, because all right, what else can I learn about just improve my life? You know, because it's just one of those where I I started getting really into like looking up and finding stuff uh, online for like, how do I, uh, you know, do this better? How do I make this better? And came across all kinds of, you know, stuff. And I became more of a collector of of like eBooks and all kinds of seminars and, um, you know, kinds of like stuff for like just brain um, development, I guess, like, what do you call it? Holosync. Uh, mm-hmm. Holosync, know. really? That I, yeah, I'm yeah, familiar with that. Yeah, I did the same thing. So that's mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting. I always wanted to make my life better. I didn't like to suffer. I don't, you know, you get to a yeah, point where, yeah. yeah, it sounds like you're kind of the same. Where you're like, okay, this has got to end. <laughs> Can't be like this yeah, anymore. Exactly. You know, and um, so you it. You know, you're not the only person that I, I'm struck by how many people have told me that they were going through something when they found this information. They started searching and then the, it's almost like you put that out there, isn't it? That I, what's the answer? What can I do to make yeah, my life better? Yeah. What, how can I be a more effective thinker? How can I be happier? Mm-hmm. I want to be. I want to make the good right decisions in life too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, be a good person and all that. And then um, some people join a cult and some people find, <laughs> which, you know, that's yeah, another yeah. road people go down because a lot of times when people in crisis, they end up kind of making decisions that are mm-hmm. detrimental. But then there's those of us who's, who uh, either are willfully searching or stumble upon mm-hmm. the teaching. Yeah, yeah, so that's around the time where I actually came across it is, you know, I was at that point where I was just looking up information left and right, you know, I was always just collecting information. And once I um, found this video, of, it was, 
know, spaceships, uh, building mm-hmm. our photos, you know, and then I, I wanted to know more at first, you know, it was more like just a curiosity because, you know, I was just collecting information. As soon as I see stuff, I want to find more about it, you know, like especially something as interesting as that. Yeah. And it, you know, just one of those things that kind of um, expanded quite a bit, you know, because, you know, I think once a person starts opening up the the book of Billy Meyer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you realize how big of a book that is, you know. <laughs> oh, it, no kidding. And, you know, when you find those those pictures of the, the photographs, you think at first, is this real? Mm-hmm. Could this be actually happening here? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. was like a very skeptical for quite a while you know it was more of a yeah open mind but skeptical you know it's mm-hmm. um like, like for, i would say even for many years like i wanted to actually even after i realized there's this is probably true i was still like yeah i don't, I don't want to still fully accept it i want to like keep probing it and probing it and um uh, maybe even a bit too long you know like you know where like all right it's kind of becoming ridiculous <laughs> because <laughs> i see how all this stuff, you know, they say, uh, you know, works, uh, you know, has practical use. Um, it uh, applies well with just um, so many ways in life, you know, like it's so many things that are explained are um, so clear and provides the best explanation of any other ones that I've looked at. You know, I've, as, as I mentioned, I did look into a whole bunch of different explanations about, you know, life, I would say. Mm-hmm. And this provided the best explanation overall. You know, it's somebody, you know, like somebody is a really good, like the smartest person alive, I would say at that point, you know, yes. you're thinking like, all right, if this guy is a hoaxer, he's still like the smartest person alive to come up, mm-hmm. to figure this all this out, you know. Um, and even from that perspective, you know, it's still beneficial because the knowledge that he, I guess, produces is still the best I could find anywhere. Even Even if it was a hoax, you know, it's, in terms of like okay the the whole background story with the ufos you know because to me that was almost like became a background story uh because yeah you know it's you know the ufos and stuff don't really um benefit me in in my life i would say a whole lot you know it because i mean mean, how do i practically apply that in my life i understand what you're saying i do and uh while it's interesting um and it kind of brings you in and, you know, gets you interested. And then you get, like you said, you get to see that it's so much deeper than just some ships flying around in the sky. And I think that's a lot of where a lot of skeptics get stuck. Mm -hmm. They get stuck on that and they don't really, to their detriment, they don't look any deeper because they're so stuck on whether the ships are real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, I'm not sure what's preventing them, but maybe they're just not really interested a whole lot in knowledge. Possibly. Mm-hmm. They're kind of more in the sensational crowd, I would say, you know, like, you know, yes. people, who, you know, I guess maybe into like the movies and stuff, you know, and just more like stuff that's like, wow, whoa, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, they're looking to be titillated, <laughs> you yeah. know, they're, they're, they're caught up in that. And I think, um, then there's those of us, like you said, you're looking for knowledge and you're looking for ways to better your life. And, you know, I I don't know about you, but I was always like, how can I be the best person I can be? Yeah. Yeah. So in the right way. Yeah. yeah. And and learning what, what success really is. 
and and you're yes. learning it's not so much about materialism you know yes. so initially you know when i started looking into the billy meyer case i think the, yeah, the contact reports were the first ones to come about of the actual information because you know you first see okay they're actually conveying information and it's being written down and that's the first thing that I, you know, got me interested in terms of reading up about what's really going on there. Like, what are they saying? Um, yeah. And, you know, it's initially it's you know a lot of interesting information there, like facts about different things. Um, but uh, I think uh, the thing that really got me is the uh, contact report ten with Simiazi. Um, that one, you know, is one of those. All right, uh, this this is really getting deep into like some interesting information. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that was really my introduction to the spiritual teaching. Um, and uh, you know, I was, you know, I would print it out. I would go to work, just reread re it and reread it, and try to mm -hmm. figure out, like, what does this mean? You know, from so many perspectives, because I feel like there's a lot of good things here, and it's a very like broad view in a way, and. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense, but then again, I, for some things, I don't quite have the background knowledge to say one way or another, is this true? You know, I can't really. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I think that also, like I was still in college at that point, for example, and what I really liked about how, you know, I think when a person starts thinking about these things, like a lot of things start happening in life, you know, people get, um, people attract different things in life to help um explain things better too like it just somehow um i think it's also one of the things that helped me realize you know the existence of the spirit because it, like things don't make sense materially in terms of like the, the like the synchronicity of it i think of some things that just come out somehow work with like clockwork where you attract information based on like how you think mm -hmm. and, and i'm fascinated by that i think about that a lot yeah, about yeah. how we attract things like that. Was there anything in the in the information? It's funny you you said that number ten, the contact. I was about to ask you that question. Oh yeah. <laughs> about, yeah. I I what was there anything in particular that really, you know, struck you and you answered it before I could even even say that. And uh, that's not something I've really asked anybody else. So the other question I had, was there anything in it that really shocked you, that you had a hard time uh, coming to terms with, or that you just went, really? <laughs> um, actually, to be honest, not really, because, I mean, I kept an open mind with everything. And I mean, a lot of things which I, I still don't, like, accept is true, because I don't know, like, you know, a lot of weird mm -hmm. things that just don't make sense to me, and I, I'm really don't know <laughs> you know this is it sounds like interesting information here and there uh -huh. um, anything in particular come to mind or no um not really i mean there's definitely a lot of things that one cannot prove in a way to oneself you know to say okay this yeah. you know this is true you know you know i find it is interesting information and maybe one day i'll find a um you know some better connection in my mind which then kind of testifies to it being true uh, but, you know, I think I, I keep an open mind with everything from that regard. Or, you well, know, that's, I, I, that's about not believing, right? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, just automatically, like the one that, you know, uh, I had to ponder because of my background, I was raised Mormon. And so if you're familiar, LDS, are you familiar with? Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
So they, you know, practiced polygamy and it was really pretty negative. Uh, the, the results of that, because we really aren't equipped, right, to be to be doing that at this point, for the most part, I would say, on this planet. And so when I found out that the play are in, and that, the, you know, part of the teaching is that, you know, that's acceptable, I was kind of, I was kind of like, really? <laughs> because I had already kind of, you know, rejected that as something that but because I am open-minded, I went, well, okay, I need to look at this again. They, you know, they do such a good job of explaining why it's not, we're not really ready for that here. And it, it also helped me understand men better, males, you know, and how they're really wired. And the teachings really helped me understand uh, the opposite sex and myself better too as a female. But, but that one really had me going, okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I do have a special announcement to make here for, uh, you know, maybe your uh, um, listeners will probably be quite interested in knowing that uh, the book of the Law of the Love, uh, Gazette de Liebe, that's uh, this one here. Yes. Uh, so I'm working on translating this with uh, my friend uh, Tim James, and we're getting fairly close to being done in terms of going through the main sections. Uh, we still got to do it through a review, you know, and make sure we have mm -hmm. everything uh, translated. That's great. Well as possible, but you know it does you know go into a lot of uh, topics like those you know that um, you know like polygamy I guess and you know but mm -hmm. I think that's just almost like a side topic because there's you know like just the way it explains love it's uh, comprehensive in all kinds of ways. Right. Um, well, you know I looked at nature a lot in trying to understand polygamy because I always thought it was just you know men collecting women. You know what I mean? I, I didn't understand when I was younger because it had such a negative. And I didn't find out my family were polygamous. I mean, just as recently as just a few generations back, my uh, father's family were polygamous. And, mm -hmm. but when I found out in my 30s that they were polygamous, I went, oh, that explains why women in my family are treated like a commodity. So you can probably understand when I first found yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> It, but it made me explore it much deep, much more deeply and look at the animal kingdom and, you know, think about it. I thought I've thought about it a lot and how that would work. Yeah. So, um, I mean, in the animal world, for example, I think I read you know, on Wikipedia up to like 90 percent or more uh, mammals are you know, polygamist <laughs> in a way like, you know, it, where... exactly. Yes. It's actually rare for them not to be. Yeah, is what yeah. yeah is what I found out too, and so I I thought deeply on the subject because I thought I really want to understand this, and um you know when yeah, I always think of bees pollinating all the flowers you know that it comes to my mind kind of because it's kind of the same thing in a way, um just the difference in the the male versus the female, and um the you know, you, there's some in other um, philosophies that I've read about the yin and the yang and the active and the passive and the positive and the negative where it, when it comes to males and females. And I'm sure they, I haven't read a lot of The Law of Love, but do they talk about that a lot in, in um, about I mean, the positive it, and the negative? Yeah, I mean, it has a, 
like overall it's a brief but in a way still detailed explanation about a lot of different things um in that regard um i mean so it does have all the recommendations also for marriage and um you know it does include uh, information about um you know just in general about okay what, what marriages you know that um include multiple women you know with one man mm -hmm. so you know it's you know it's i guess it's explained it's not necessarily explained in too much detail um but more of the rules i guess around it um are given like like, like what are some of the rules um so i mean there's actually quite a few rules around um just the relationship in general mm -hmm. Um, and um, so the first rule that is mentioned essentially it has to do with you know about um, the women that one goes after and also you know the men that one goes after mm -hmm. which is to not go after like men or women that are taken already right and they're just one of those things which I feel like it's almost missing like a lot in our world in terms of like Mm -hmm. um yeah people don't necessarily um like follow you know, that rule <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah. and you know it explains it from a good perspective you know it actually from multiple perspectives it's like it's structured in such a well um um intended form i guess not necessarily intended but you know such a really good form that it's I think it addresses it from so many different angles where it really sticks out as this is important, you know. Mm -hmm. And and um, something came to mind. What was I going to ask you about? Oh, so do they talk about, um, so polygamy tends, it only goes one way, correct? It's mm -hmm. for the men, but not for the women. And is that so um for, as far as i see um so it is explained that um the actual overall recommendation is um that yeah so um, women should have only one man mm -hmm. uh, from the uh, recommendations of uh you know that are given there however um there's also um like from the overall like let's say if if a government wants to make laws around these things um, it does make sense also to then open it up more from other perspectives too um, and give more of a freedom to actually so you know there's the I guess the ideal way that works best you know but then there's also like what should government do in terms of like you know should the government then disallow that you know or not and in that regard it, it looks like it, you know that's it should be more open up where you know even you know Many women have can have, I guess, multiple men and multiple women too. In some regards, um, yes. Um, I guess one thing that's kind of interesting, which maybe some people have questions about um, in this book, is uh, this one's focused specifically on a uh, bond between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. And I think you know that's quite a big topic nowadays. Of you know, besides that, what, what else is there? Um, because it seems like that seems to be the main topic then in that regard. Um, but in this book here, it almost exclusively speaks about men and women. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I mean, the, 
there it's, it's not explained why from that perspective, but I would say it's because I mean uh, a man and a woman are that's the most significant or um, most important bond really that sustains civilization. And, right, that makes know, that, sense. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, the other ones, you know, it's it should be respected as human beings. You know, it's still, you know, should be uh, in a way toler tolerated, but also accepted and seen as understood. Yes. But, but one should not, uh, you know, then kind of lower the importance of the bond between man and woman because that's the most important bond that keeps society um, um, sustained and existing. Yeah, I I think that's an important point that you're making, too, because I kind of see in our society where that's um, not becoming the case. And it's kind of interesting that if you do say something like what you just said in a lot of circles, people will say, oh, you're homophobic or you're, you know, they jump to conclusions. Have you noticed that in our culture now that more and more it's becoming um where they exaggerate your position, yeah, yeah, and so, that's unfortunate. Um, it seems to be like a common occurrence when, when something became like too strict one way. Mm -hmm. um, when the change occurs, then it goes too extreme too much, to the other way. Yeah, and the pendulum it, it, swings. Yes, it, it seems to be like, um, in, like in so many different ways. You know, from um, also just from the religious uh, oppression of sexuality. Um, mm -hmm. You know, where, you know, religion was like super like strict about, you know, sexuality of like where, you know, you're absolutely not allowed like, like, uh, you know, outside of marriage, for example, it's like total sin, 100%. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, once society became more um, accepting of sexuality, then it went, went all the way to the opposite side where just it's, you know, pretty much free sex for everybody. Right. Anything goes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure that. You know, from what I've read of the law of love, um, it's um, helping us to understand what love is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably the most important part because yes. I don't think there's very few people in the world that do understand mm -hmm. what love is. Um, yeah. And sometimes when I do encounter it, I'm pretty impressed. Um, and for example, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, which, you know, is one of the, you know, smartest guys around mm -hmm. and he had this video which really explains it well how it's the connectedness that's really um makes life in, in a way important you know because mm -hmm. that's what really um makes life worth living in a way it's yeah and you know i think um i would suggest looking that up uh he had he has a really excellent i'm not sure if i know what it's called but yeah he has a really good video on it and in a way that's to me it's also a proof that people can figure these things out on their own too because mm -hmm. it is it is uh you know out here you know it's you know it's not like it, it's not in a book it's out here you know <laughs> yes well i think that's for you know and i think that's a really good point to make because when you know i was much older than you when i found this information the teaching but it validated me. Every, the things that I thought um, in my life, it validated so much of what I already thought. And it also showed me that um, 
I, I was kind of angry for a while because I realized that I let myself be, um, you know, I didn't trust myself sometimes because I let other people tell me I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I think there's, of course, we should always consider if we're wrong about something. Absolutely. But there were times I told myself, well, I must be wrong about this because somebody else didn't agree with me. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that that through the years since I've since I've started studying this, I'm much stronger in, in that regard, that if I know something is right and somebody tries to tell me I'm wrong, I just think, well, you have your opinion. But that's yeah. I, I've already worked this out, but I'm still open to, of course, you know, um, understanding if I have a blind spot or wrong about something. I think you know what I'm talking about. And, yeah, because yeah. yeah, I think for every single topic, there is so many like viewpoints, um, mm-hmm. and it is important to see all the different viewpoints. You know, that, that's one of those things also where, like, while I was, um, I guess, still researching the Billy Meyer case and all, I, I wanted to see all the different angles of it. You know, and I wanted to question it from, you know, like probe it essentially. Like, you know, like the, does do the critics' um, cases hold water? You know. It, Yes. And I just found that, you know, they're not even, they're like scratching the surface, you know, and they're trying to see like off the, from the surface. Uh, and they're, you know, not, not looking deep enough to actually make valid conclusions, you know, because like their knowledge is like really limited to actually make a um, uh, educated conclusion. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a, an important part of the process is to look at the skeptics and the questions they're asking. Because it helps you vet the information and decide for yourself. And it shows, you know, um, like you said, a weakness in their thinking. Yeah. And then you reach a point where that's not no longer necessary for you to even look at the skeptics. Um, I think that's part of the progression. If you're progressing through this um, and you're not just believing, you're, (laughs) you know, actually, Yeah, yeah. yeah, working to understand the information. Yeah, I feel like uh, maybe skeptics do sometimes play a good role in that mm-hmm. um, they give people more a bit of a stumbling block so that they yes kind of uh, like <laughs> okay, am I really like thinking this through properly or just like blindly yes. accepting information? Um, and you know, if some people kind of went it from a belief perspective of you know just oh you know uh, I totally accept everything that's said here without really blindly. <laughs> um, they're not doing it correctly, you know, and they don't have a firm stand on this information uh, to really um, confirm it for themselves yet. You know, they're still in a belief phase. Um, and yeah, that's and really, it should not be that way. And I feel like when people are still focused on a belief, you know, they also uh, pick up a lot of other beliefs. You know, it's not just this. A really good point, because those people who do just believe, then they believe the skeptics and then they walk away. So they either yeah, mix a bunch yeah, of stuff yeah. together. And, you know, we've had people come to our study group um, and they don't stay very long, but they've done the same thing. They've lumped all these things in together. They've got this big melting pot of stuff they've that they think is true. We had a we had a woman that came to a couple of meetings who thought the earth was flat. She was buying. <laughs> she thought that was true. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, what are you doing here? But, you know, she didn't stay. And so, yeah, those people are the ones that are also just going to believe the skeptics. If someone says Billy Meyer is a hoaxer, 
oh, okay, then he is. They don't mm -hmm. say, well, what do you mean? Why are you saying this? Let me look at this deeply. So they do serve a purpose yeah. because I know that those find... skeptics have even brought people into the to the information that, that maybe they wouldn't have found it otherwise. Mm -hmm. I do find that um, trying to make sense of the spiritual teaching, just trying to really understand like why that is true and if it is true. Um, I think that to me is really the, the biggest proof uh, beyond any doubt. Um, yes. Because I mean, so just to give an example, also how in college, for example, um, so you know I went for engineering courses and you know we learned a lot about different maths, you know about you know how, you know uh, integration with infinities and you know what is infinity and all these things. And one thing that really stuck with me, and that's also one of the synchronicity things that came to me at the right time is that you know i realized you know everything material is um like there's no there's limit to everything a very li like limit based reality you know everything has a limit mm -hmm. um, and but then you know in the spiritual teaching it's explained how there are the limitless values um and those are really what's you know i would really consider the holy values of life uh, because I mean that's the knowledge, uh, wisdom, and love, you know, and that's one of those things which, really, if you think about it, those are without limit. Yes. And everything in life is um, still based on those values, um, even though the material world itself is lim limited in yes. all in every way. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think. Uh, the problem with uh, beliefs and faiths also is that um, it actually encourages people not to think at all. Yeah, and exactly. that's the main problem. Uh, I think yes. um, because you, you're not supposed to really figure things out. You're supposed to just accept things as they are. And there's you know these main concepts. You're supposed to just you know if you believe in these concepts, um, I mean you're going to heaven. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Have you ever been told you think too much? In a way, yeah, I mean, but... I mean, I've been told that too. I mean, because we live in a society, think about it. If if we're yeah. in this society where people don't think, those of us who talk about these things, if you try to talk about them with certain people, don't they say that to you though? You think too much, you, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like I probably distance some people to away for me from you know like I guess initially when I was like researching this information I was you know also talkative about certain things and you know it would probably irritate you know I mean mm -hmm. I probably definitely irritate some people because you know I was you know a bit too open about some of the information you know with you know my right. you know friends and you know it was kind of like you know, they don't want, like, on one side, you know, I, I don't want to know this. <laughs> you know, this is like, all right. Yeah, I wasn't even necessarily talking about um, the information about the Maya. Just there are those of us who like to talk deeply about subjects, who are not just surface. And so there's not, not every, not everyone's open to going below what their dog did today or the weather. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? If you try to get deep into subjects, you you lose them. They're yeah, yeah. yeah. not everyone, but yeah. I don't know. Like I do feel like also maybe because 
you know, as I mentioned, I was very like into like all right, uh, knowledge and just being like striving for all kinds mm-hmm. of. Um, and I, I think people, some people, or like my friends, were kind of like people I used to party with, you know, and mm-hmm. used to be friends with. But to, for them, it was like too much, you know. It's like I, I would try to encourage them also, just kind of like to learn more and it, it just you know, to, for them it was yeah, you know, I just like my lazy life. <laughs> yes, um, I do I, know. And maybe I, I mean I was kind of became more like the opposite of maybe sometimes too much. I you know started collecting all these degrees, you know, and you know so in a way I'm pretty happy where I'm you know where I ended up at, you know, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with spiritual teaching, you know, because it really gave me a, a good driving force to realize uh, what, what is really important in life. Yeah, so you don't end up, you know, I have um, you talking about they just want to live their lazy life, and you think well. Yeah, maybe those people will eventually um, outgrow that. But I'm I'm here well, to tell you that some of them don't. I've got yeah. people that were friends of mine that are my age that um, they're still living that. I mean, they work so they can just entertain and party. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their life isn't anything more than entertainment. Mm-hmm. They work so they can entertain themselves and have a good time. Yeah, and I, I do know some people who kind of fell into a hole as a result of that, you know, because... You I know think, some people that what? Um, I guess in a way fell into a hole. Oh, fell so into a hole, okay. In terms of like mentally, because um, like a lot of these things got to them eventually, you know, it, it was more... But I don't think they figured out a way to dig themselves out, you know, and that's just because they were so stubborn in their thinking that they didn't... Um, they didn't want to apply like, you know, they just still wanted to be the same, you know, just wanted life to be kind of like, yeah, you know, just party and, you know. Yeah. Which you is probably have a hard time with change, too, because of that, because things are changing. Yeah. And yeah. the it's getting harder and harder to ignore the, what's happening. I, I turned on, I don't watch the news very much, just enough to kind of get an idea of what's going on. And I, I turned on like a a, a news program on YouTube because I don't have you know cable or anything like that. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, which is better for it. Um, and they're talking about you know the fires in California and Oregon, and then the hur- another hurricane that's hitting the coast. And just the way it was presented, I thought, I wonder how people who you know we knew this was coming. Mm-hmm. Luckily. And we could prepare ourselves mentally for this. But I was sitting there wondering how people are perceiving this that didn't know this is was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I guess they just think it's going to ha- be over soon and, and everything will go back to normal. I don't know. I, would, I think a lot of people have a lot of difficulties processing um, because, you know, it's, it is a skill also to develop um, – I guess processing capability in your mind for how to handle the negative information. Um, and I think that's also one of the critical aspects of the Meyer teaching, which, um, you know, people need to develop these skills to handle the negative side of life. Yeah. And, and that's actually a positive skill because, you know, the, the negatives then essentially get neutralized in a way. Um, and a lot of people fall into that uh, completely positive thinking category. 
mm-hmm. where they just ignore every, anything that's negative to them. It's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, the, you know, that's not my life, you know, it's, but. Uh, yeah, well, there's actually, I think people are conditioned to do that in a lot of ways that um, they're shamed. They're told they live in fear. They're told, you know, they can't even, people can't even tell the difference between whether you're just looking at the facts. I think the wearing of the masks for the coronavirus is a great example of that because, yeah, yeah. you know, if you wear a mask, you're a sheep, you're, you're afraid, you're, yeah, yeah. they don't even, you know, they don't want to entertain the idea that maybe you're just being factual about and seeing reality and saying, this is what we need to do. Yeah, you don't have um, to be afraid to wear a mask. I find that also um, just not wearing a mask is a, like a sign of not thinking about others. Um, Yes. Because it became so, it is one of those things which, um, so masks, for example, are not 100% effective, for example. No, of course not. Yeah. And so, so, that is a problem from one side. And then people look at these studies and say, okay, uh, masks don't work at all. You know, why should I wear a mask? Uh, but once one looks at it from a different perspective of, okay, but if I'm sick and I wear a mask, I'm protecting other people. And even if it's not a 100% effective mask, it um, actually reduces a lot of the transition or tra- transmission of the aerosols and, you know, all kinds of, uh, from me to others, you know. So so I'm wearing a mask to protect others. I'm not wearing to protect me from, number one, that's the number one, actually, purpose of having masks. Well, of course, and I, you know, but I found that in my explaining of that to people you think they're going to be reasonable and go oh yeah that makes sense no oh yeah yeah no that doesn't work that doesn't help they don't care Um, you know i thought well if you i've had some conversations on facebook about that and people get angry and i'm not going to need that and you try to explain to them that it's you know you're protecting other people from you well, I think there's, you know, I think what it's really revealed is, is the, the coldness. We, we're being told that the human being is becoming colder and colder in their feelings. I think this situation really sheds a light on that, that that's happening, the lack of empathy, like you were saying, the lack of caring about others. And uh, I find it interesting that, you know, human beings are walking around and they seem perfectly nice until on our planet, until um, something triggers uh, an unreasonableness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tough environment. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's one of the things also that is um, pretty important to learn from the uh, Bill Murray teaching is to develop strength uh, for all kinds of situations. Um, yes. And um, yeah, I, I do think so. You know, I think one of the things that I really enjoyed is uh, some of the meditation books that ex- um, have the affirm- affirmative sentences. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, yeah, so in the book, uh, um, uh, Meditation from a Clear Visibility, I mean, the first one is uh, uh, to live in a, today's world uh, must be strong and develop tenacity. And yes. You know, when it starts out like that, you know, it's like, all right, this is teaching you strength, you know, right away. And, you know, you want to really focus on developing strength for all kinds of situations in life. Yeah, 
Yes. In fact, I've been I've started um, reading it at the a few episodes ago. I started reading the seventy seven point you know meditations, yeah. and I've been reading one just one, and now I'll read one of course at the beginning of this um, uh, show, just to give people something to think about, and to encourage them to use these meditations because they're so valuable. Mm-hmm. They really are. And yeah. It helped me a lot too. Yeah. yeah, and that's one thing that I wanted to also explain in terms of you know how I um, got into the Billy Meyer teaching is that I did look into a lot of the mental development aspects of it, and that's what kind of struck me was you know, the um, such a like significance of words and thoughts that. Mm-hmm. Like at one point, I became kind of like really cautious. Like, all right, I gotta watch every single thing I'm thinking, you know, because mm-hmm. like every single thought and every single um, you know thing that one utters and writes, and every single um, just instant instance of a thought, really, mm-hmm. from the start, you know, um, it's like a ma- magical, uh, uh, like magical spell, really. <laughs> like it's yeah. so strong that it like really brings about life you know or at least influences in some way um and once one then realizes that um then you one has to then figure out okay what is the you know what are the proper thoughts to think in a way that um don't throw me into despair or depression and all kinds of um mental issues uh, because I think like a lot of the mental issues that people have are caused due to their thoughts. You know, it just. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think when well, we're younger, um, yeah, when we're younger, we do. Uh, you know, we're still in a very, um, I guess, impressionable phase where we just accept the thoughts of others, our close uh, family and friends, um, mm-hmm. and because you know, just naturally, they're the people who we are supposed to trust. Yes. Um, and yeah, that definitely has a lot of influence on people because. You know, on the one side, you know, the parents don't realize how how critical their thoughts are uh, and how yeah. um, uh, impactful they are on you know their children. But then it's you know really difficult to get out of that phase too. You know, it's just one of those which you know if one accepts it as a kid, it can you know linger on in the mind for years and years and become really yes. difficult to um, overcome. Um, and that's on the one side, you know, from the environment, but then also people just on on their own um, get all kinds of weird thoughts, you know, in their mind and negatively affect themselves, you know. So it goes both ways. And in either way, it still has to be one's own thoughts to actually overcome that. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've met people that were in their... 80s 90s that would start talking to me about something one of their parents did to them and you could tell Mm. they hadn't overcome it Mm, yeah yeah and i thought that was very and it it was a learning it was sad but i also said i don't want that to be me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and the teaching helps a lot with those sorts of things letting things go Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. and uh moving on and learning from it and yeah, so, um, you know, speaking of that, I, I would think that because of, ta- let's talk about what you, some of the experiences you had 
um, living in a place where there was civil war going on because that's isn't that why you came to the u.s in the first place yes so uh the civil war actually happened when i was in first grade um so at that point i was still really young you know and didn't really know much about the world um it just kind of happened you know all of a sudden um you know instead of going to school uh, you have to go to the basement and hide. And, is this uh, shocking to you, or so? I, to be honest, I don't really know because, to me, it was almost like I would just observe things as happening. You know, because at, at that point, uh, it was just uh, maybe that's normal in a way. Because as a kid, I don't really know what's going on at that point yet. It's you know, it kind of seemed to me like it just I was just taking it as it goes, and I don't. And know. I think kids do that a lot. I, that's why I asked yeah. you. It, we are very children are very like, can be very neutral. Actually, they look at it and go, "Oh, so we're doing this now, okay?" Yeah, exactly. And you may ask your parents why, and they explain, and you go, "All right," you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, it's you know, one day, you know, it just, from one side, it's a tough situation because. You know, you're hiding in the basement and uh, you hear the sirens go off and then you start hearing uh, these uh, rockets fly above you. And, you know, it's, uh, I guess I, I'm i not really uh, tra- traumatized by it or anything. Um, but on the other side, you know, I wouldn't want to be in that situation anymore uh, because, um, I mean, life completely turns around. For me, it was, you know, I had a completely normal life going to, uh, first grade, and all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, um, my mom all of a sudden figures out, all right, you know, we found somebody who can uh, take us out of this, you know, they have a car and they'll drive us away to a safe location because, uh, yeah, we're, you know. In danger, uh, yeah. In Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so, you know, we tried to actually um, run away from it in a way because, you know, my, my mom, of course, just wants to protect it, uh, protect me and my brother. And uh, yeah, so we actually, I'm not sure how long we were there. It was all kind of a blur to me now because, you know, it's a scary situation. You know, pretty much uh, maybe I'd rather forget about it in a way. <laughs> because... Yeah, and that's understandable, actually. And And as a child, though, you know, when you're young like that, you don't, this is something I've thought about, about how when you're an adult, you actually in some ways are more fearful than you are when you're a kid. They always kind of portray yeah. children as being more fearful as, as adults than adults. But really, as an adult, you think about all the things that could go wrong. Yeah, yeah. And you understand the risks a lot better than children do. And yeah, as children, we yeah. trust the people that are taking care of us, right? I mean, you didn't you think, oh, my mom's going to make sure we get out of here and we'll be okay and, you know... Um, and I'm sure she was probably pretty frightened. I oh, would yeah, yeah. Um, so what kind of happened was, you know, we did have a way out. You know, we had people like one uh, person who to drive us out there. And um, so it was my dad, my mom, and me and my brother. Uh, but then we got to this area where they said, okay, um, uh, no, uh, no, no male uh, adults allowed to like you know you can have only one guy um you know so my dad had to essentially stay behind there and 
yeah, that's what happened though. So we pretty much left our dad behind and left. Um, and um, yeah, for a while we actually just, I had no idea where my dad was, you know, it, it was, we didn't hear from him for like months and months. Um, and, you know, eventually we did get a phone call. I remember, so I do remember that day, you know, and my mom was crying the whole day, you know, it was one of those, she finally uh, heard, you know, his voice, you know, and find out that he's, he's doing okay, but yeah, so. You know, at that time also. You were reunited with your father then? Uh, not yet. Uh, so it took a while for him to actually arrive where we were, you know, I don't remember the full situation, but, you know, he, you know, um, I, I guess find a way, found a way to meet us, you know, and, you know, stay with us. Um, mm -hmm. I actually just uh, recently found out uh, that uh, him and um, my uncle, his brother, they were in a actual concentration camp, uh, which, you know, like, I, I just found it out, like, year ago, really. I never knew that. My dad never mentioned that, you know. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I mean, it wasn't an extermination camp, but it was just, it was, you know, it was more of a, you know, I guess, I don't know details. <laughs> so well, I you're still a prisoner in a concentration camp. You're being yeah, held yeah. against your will. Yeah, yeah. So that's an experience, definitely. Yeah. And and why was there civil war going on in your, and it was what used to be Yugoslavia, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think actually it's more of a culmination of things that happened um, historically in the past 100 years, 200 years, um, because there was a lot of um, ethnic hate that was built up on one side. Um, and on the other side, there was that um, extreme patriotism, which uh, people call uh, chauvinism. I think it's more of a historic word now, where people just like are really into like, okay, this is my, you know, my country, my this, you know, and I don't want anybody else to be in this country, you know, like kind of like the Hitler uh, movement of that wanted to just exterminate everybody um, except for their own kind. And um, Yugoslavia was actually a country that had a combination of people who fought before, you know, so it was um, united people of people who used to fight before. And, you know, there was a bit of a strong hand that was keeping them together for a while. And there was also a lot of good things that came out. It was at that point, a lot of people still have a lot of nostalgia and that it was, you know, this great country because it was actually, you know, overall in the world, it had a good standing and, you know, education levels and all kinds of uh, beneficial things for everybody. People had a good life. Um, and, you know, things then just somehow blew up, you know, and everybody started blaming each other, you know, like the other side, it's them, you know. <laughs> It's mm -hmm. their fault that my life is not good, and so I gotta kill them. You know, it's like completely out of mind, you know, because people don't take responsibility on one side. On the other side, you know, just the hate of um, the other, the neighbor, um, the uh, you know, even within the same family, just because they're not the ex same nationality or the same background, you know, they're the enemy. Right, or they're differing political views, right? Like what's yeah. happening here. Yep, yep. What's happening in America, the polarization of the Democrats versus the Republicans. Yeah, you know? so yeah, I think it's just that 
extreme divisiveness essentially it, it you know it's you know there's it takes many forms um i mean i guess there's also the racist divisiveness here in the united states which yeah. we didn't have where i was from uh, everybody there yes. was the same race and genetically actually like new genetics say that yeah, it's exactly the same genetics pretty much mm-hmm. uh, there was a difference in religion though so it was a different uh, one is the um the, the roman catholic and the other one was the orthodox catholic so there was there was a decisive line from that perspective as well uh, but then also it was just um you know it was you know the serbs and the croats and the bosniaks and yeah. they you know didn't, couldn't live with each other even though they were living everybody was living uh you know it was we were all neighbors you know it was all Mm-hmm. Uh, one country and that's one of the reasons why I'm mixed because it was you know, we're all one country you know so it's like that was I guess attempt to unify them but uh, I guess that experiment failed for a while <laughs> and blew up so Sanya how do you feel about the fact that you're now living in a country that's on the brink of civil war <laughs> after you've escaped from one now you're 20 years later you're sitting in a situation where we're on the brink and how did you feel when you found out that was coming? Um, so I think initially when I heard about it, like way back when, it's not one of those things that becomes apparent as um, possible at that point because, you know, it kind of seems like, yeah, pe- things are still quite peaceful. Um, right. People can, don't hate I each couldn't other. imagine it either at the time when I found out. I was like, how is this going to happen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you actually did have a, a question earlier about things and that was one of the um things that kind of like shook me in a way like the um prophecies um and you know it kind of affected me a lot because i see okay like i I started i started trusting uh what bill meyer was saying because you know everything was making sense at that that point but then um you know i read some that's you know pretty scary about a potential future Mm -hmm. and yeah it kind of shook me you know it was one of those you know, I'd rather not have it. It was well explained that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to happen. You know, it's more of based on yeah. cause and effect and depends a lot how people think and process information in terms of like how they actually change their thinking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at, so that at the point, time, were you pretty ho- were you hopeful that we that maybe it wouldn't happen? You know, I was hopeful, um, but on the other side, also, I think I was fairly careful from that perspective of knowing the possible outcome. Yeah. Um, and you know, I kind of, in a way, what I do a lot is, I guess, uh, prepare for the worst, but then also do the best I can to uh, live, you know, life uh, the best yeah, I can. Yeah, for the best. Yes. Yeah, not worry about it too much. Just yeah, for, yeah. yeah, because as you know, worrying isn't like a magic spell that if you worry a lot, it won't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of yeah. like a thinking, like uh, the way one thinks also can, you know. Put one into a hole, which I mentioned earlier, is that mm-hmm. worrying too much about things. It it is important yes. to overcome that. And uh, yeah, using it as a catalyst, maybe to do some things. Yeah, to yeah. prepare yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, your home, that kind of thing. You know, we talked about growing food when when you and I yeah, talked yeah. last time, and but not getting obsessed and overly upset and anxious and yeah yeah there's that, that balance you know between denial and 
totally total freak out. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I you know overall I think um, you know like just you know having a garden is beneficial in all mm-hmm. kinds of ways. It um, is. Like if if it became if it remained peaceful uh, for the next millions of years, uh, having a garden is an, an amazing thing. Um, and oh, I agree. I I, yeah. I absolutely and I. I never saw myself when I was young. I, I lived on a farm in high school and I went, never. It yeah, was so yeah. much work. I was like, never. And here I am. <laughs> and I really like it. So um, now would I grow to the extent, you know, because it's a lot of work. I probably wouldn't have such a large uh, garden and so many other things, you know, fruit trees and everything to take care of. I'd probably scale it down a little bit if I knew. But I would still be doing yeah, like I agree with you, the benefits of having a garden, it connects you with nature. You, you know, you get to eat food that's so much better for you than anything you can buy in the store. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I enjoy it. just during the day, I walk outside and just start picking tomatoes and eating them. Um, it's yeah, it's an experience to be had. And I, I think not, not a lot of people see, you know, how much that benefits me in terms of like, um, uh, just mental health, I think, in terms of uh, you know being out in nature and mm-hmm. um, reaping the you know fruits of the labor. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's very satisfying to know to when that when that produce happens and you get to eat it. It's like I did this, mm-hmm. you know, with of course help from nature. We didn't do it all on our own, but it is very satisfying and gives you a self reliance. I think that. Um, a lot of people don't get, don't ex- ever experience that. Yeah. And yeah. also in terms of health, um, you know, one can grow food to have, uh, be more nutritious. Yes. Uh, just because in the store they have these tricks just to figure out how to make them last the longest on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you grow them yourself, you know, you can, you know, focus more on making sure that they're ripe, uh, really ripe instead of, picking them while they're still uh, green and, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, have proper fertilizer. Um, yep. Yeah, and they, so, aren't, they haven't been um, doused in a bunch of pesticides and herbicides. Yeah. I mean, we know there's, that our produce is still being exposed to it because of our environment, but to a much lesser degree than in the stuff that we buy at the store. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also, um, so yeah, if um, I wasn't thinking about a potential civil war, I probably would not think about how do I store the food for uh, winter. Right. So you just enjoy it and then. Yeah. 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 So -hmm. it does, you know, give me a bit of a cautiousness of, okay, I don't necessarily store food right now, but I'm thinking like, I don't grow like a ton of food yet, but Mm -hmm. I keep like working toward it also, like how do I. Um, have a store of food in case I really need to. Um, yeah. You know, I store some, I guess, but you know, I, you know, I, I don't grow a ton of food yet. You know, I'm I'm still, I guess, uh, learning on one side how to grow food because you know a lot of experimentation. It, uh, yeah, exactly. For where you live and mm-hmm. your climate and the soil you have, and you know, here's something you might find kind of interesting when you save seeds you know when you plant say you buy some seeds from the store after three generations say you save the seeds and you replant them and then you save those seeds and 
by the time you've replanted them the third time, I learned this in my master gardener course, those seeds have adapted to your soil, your mm. climate, your way, your way of growing things, huh. which I think is amazing. And mm. it's just another example of the intelligence in nature that's all around us. I just found that just that that mm. my, my, my mouth dropped open. I went, well, of course, that makes so much sense. So that's something to be said for saving seeds for that reason, not just for in case there are seed shortages, but because those seeds are going to perform better on your property mm -hmm. because they've adapted through the generations to your yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's something that I'm still learning, you know. Uh, mm -hmm, of course, there's always something to learn about growing food. You know, uh, society's made it seem like simpletons are farmers, you know, in our yeah. society, and that that's why a lot of people have moved away from it and, and that it's, you know, but there's a lot to it. You have to learn a lot of different things to be able to grow food successfully. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, if I compare like some of the you know school knowledge that I had to learn and, uh, you know, apply uh, from one side, I do find gardening to be challenging, really challenging, mm -hmm. even though, I mean, uh, I do have a, for example, a master's degree in uh, uh, engineering, you know, so, Mm -hmm. To me, you know, I, I wouldn't really put gardening below that, you know, as, you know, like an easier skill. I would say. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I think there's a perception of that. And people, if people who garden understand that that's not true. And the other thing it teaches is discipline. Because yeah. you, as you know, you're gardening. If you don't take care of those plants, they're not going to produce if you don't make sure they're watered and fertilized at the right times, they're going to die and you're not going to get, or you don't cover them when it's a frost, if you don't pay attention to the weather and cover them up when the frost is coming, like you saw what we just yeah, went through, the yeah. snow. Because we took the time to, to cover them up, we're still getting produce. Mm -hmm. And if we hadn't, um, chances are a lot of that stuff would have succumbed to the freezing temperatures and the so there's so much more, it teaches self-discipline. And a lot of people don't really think about, I think that's why some people give up, give up on it too, because you have to be disciplined um, to grow food. You just do. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's probably one of the reasons why I do think it's uh, challenging. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, it, uh, you know, it's not just, you know, reading a book, you know, and then passing a test. Uh, th this is the practical knowledge, you know, this is the yeah. hands-on experience and one has to be able to adopt in all kinds of situations. Um, and there are so many inter intricate um, variables to, to deal with. There is. Yeah, so it takes a lot of self-discipline. I think that's one of the reasons why I don't have any animals, even though I would recommend it and I would like to have them eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, that's almost a bit uh, above the level of responsibility I want to have with uh, my garden, you know, and my... Yeah, I understand that. Absolutely. That's good. You're honest with yourself about that. And, you know, if it were me by myself, say, gardening, I, I don't couldn't do it all. You, you know, we have three people here that take care of everything. And it's a good thing we do because there's no way one person could do everything that we do mm -hmm. on our farm. Yeah, it takes. Yeah, yeah. it takes uh, yeah, quite a lot of effort, and you know, several people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, you know, I pretty much have my own house here. Just bought it recently, you know, so I'm still, uh, you know, building up a property. Really, so. yeah, good for you though. That's great.
and plus you know i have a lot of other responsibilities um uh, re uh rebuilding the house and from the perspective of it was a foreclosed house uh so mm -hmm. i'm doing a lot of painting and all that so just i don't want to take on too many responsibilities no that's smart because if you do you'll have to end up letting something go yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's just being realistic that's great and that teaching is good for that too isn't it yeah but you know yeah. but from having a garden though like if uh if your cabbage uh dies i mean yeah <laughs> i guess i don't think that many people will cry about that <laughs> you know just broke yeah. away and... yeah well you just learn from it you know yeah yeah um but if if there's no cabbage to be had and your cabbage dies you might cry <laughs> yeah but from that perspective it's actually doesn't have a difficult um you know it, like there's no no huge loss because you know we're still in a good state where we can still buy food in a mm -hmm. store um yeah so it, you know it's, yeah i was i was just explaining that it's good to develop that self-discipline now though so oh, that yeah. for later yeah to that understanding of that what needs to be done to in order to grow food so that you've got it down when and if mm -hmm. you know because um the scientists are saying this from what i'm looking at the food shortages are coming oh, yeah. and we we know that that's the case yeah yeah i think there was a huge flood in china just recently that flooded a lot of the fields you know where food is grown yes and you know that's we're not sure that may be just a minor shortage, but things like that keep happening with all these uh, catastrophes. Um, you know the the fires. I'm not sure how much damage that did to uh, you know the crops, but I'd imagine it did. So yeah, in California, yeah, because there a lot of things are grown there and Oregon, mm -hmm. and yeah, in fact, we're um, we're putting up a greenhouse this fall, mm -hmm. so that we can extend our growing season and also have a more stability, you know, so that if things do get wiped out in our, you know, our yards, you've seen some of the challenges we had this year, that yeah. the greenhouse, at least things have a much better chance of surviving in a greenhouse. So we're going to have both. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. yeah it's still on my to-do list. Uh, mm -hmm. I think maybe next year, um, yeah. I'm trying to get to it, but you know, it, it, it's tough to get to all the projects. Um, it is. You know, one has to, I guess, prioritize, and I'm maybe I you should. Just have to... Oh, you yeah. Know, you know, you want to kind of do well in every single project that you take on, too. You mm -hmm. know, you want to spend the, uh, you know, the necessary time to get well at something that you find important. Um, so I do think, you know, that's why I'm trying to prioritize. You know, I don't want to get into uh, too many projects because uh, I think I, that's one of the things I did doing you know once in a while <laughs> and uh oh we all have trust me yeah. <laughs> can i ask what your engineering degree is in just i'm just curious oh, um yeah so i got uh two bachelor degrees in um uh, computer and electrical and uh i kind of thought computer maybe and electrical and yeah, yeah and then um so yeah then i got the master's uh for electrical with uh focus on uh like uh communications you know like uh wi-fi and uh Mm -hmm. signals processing i see yep. yeah so uh, kind of uh one thing also kind of was nice is that uh, i had an opportunity to work for nasa for a while oh uh, how interesting oh i didn't yeah. know that oh yeah i mean yeah. it was you know it was more like an internship in a way uh, for three years where uh, mm -hmm. 
you know, they, uh, you know, essentially then paid for my grad school. Then, you know, <laughs> that's nice though. Yeah, so yeah. did you live in Florida? When uh, no, you were- no, um, so oh, they actually it? have, a, they have centers all across the United States. Um, oh, so, I didn't even know that either. So yeah, yeah. There's a Glenn uh, research center, um, close to Cleveland here. Okay. And I, I actually didn't know we had that until like all of a sudden um, I got a, you know, offer like, you know, work for NASA, like, you know, like, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess, uh, where is that at? <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know we had one out like close to where I live, you know, and it actually wasn't that close. It was about an hour drive. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to um, pass on that opportunity. And I bet. How interesting. And yeah. um, so what's, I mean... Was that a while? Was that a while ago, or was that recently that you worked for NASA? Um, let's see. So, yeah, I guess it was a while ago now, because uh, I think I'm, I have seven years now at my new job. So yeah, it was ten years ago when I started. I think. So um, what were they up to when you were working for them? Can you say, or? Um, so I was actually focusing uh, mainly on um, the aeronautical side with airplanes. Mm-hmm. So my focus was on communications. It was actually kind of like text communications between the airplanes and the control towers. Uh, oh, so that was being upgraded. Um, and uh, but you know some things that my center was working on is uh, laser communications between um, you know the different spacecraft. Um, so that was one thing that people who I knew were, were working on. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think what else? Uh, so they had also some of the. Um, propulsion technologies, which was, you know, a bit outside of my field. That's more of, you know, some kind of chemicals and all kinds of weird stuff that I'm not familiar with. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's kind of nice, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, they have these tours once in a while. You can see also what some of the other people are working on. Because, uh, you know, other than that, you know, you get there, just a bunch of closed buildings, and you get to your own building, and you're kind of stuck in a bubble there. Yeah. And yeah, for a while, I mean, it's, you don't know what's happening there because they're not really, you know, saying it. You know? And it's just a separate building. You don't know, oh, yeah, that building is, you know, just a lot, a lot of mechanical stuff, I guess. And you know, yeah, it's I, hear that a, I hear that a lot about large government agencies, though, like the CIA, and they're very compartmentalized. And a lot of people don't know what the other people are doing. They yeah. only know what's going on in their own little world. Yeah. yeah, and I would imagine also the presentations that they give, you know, the tours, they focus on some of the things that they're, I guess, allowed to present, uh, you know, some that's presentable to so it's not brand new research, it's more like some that, you know, they have something really working, it's not necessarily brand new stuff, you know, like the mm-hmm. big, um, but um, yeah, I mean, um, I, I think, the, so the problem is though with NASA, I feel like um, just in general, it has to do with how the American government is structured, is that uh, not a lot of funding goes to that. Yeah. Um, so, in a way, it also looked kind of run down in a way. It was, you know, just the buildings were kind of not maintained well, you know. And That's the kind of things I was hearing. That's why I was asking you. It seems like that the world has kind of moved on and left NASA behind in a lot of ways. And it's yeah. just plugging along in its antiquation. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, one of the reasons why I didn't stay there uh, it, it was you know on the one side also like they have really interesting um work to do like you know it's something that i could i guess ex- um speak to somebody like excitingly like this is you know all this i'm doing this 
amazing stuff at NASA, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. everybody loves NASA. Everybody's really impressed by that. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things that, um, you know, it's not something that like NASA is not funding anymore. So I think a lot of the research doesn't really happen that, it, you know, it's not really that yes. exciting research anymore. Um, I mean, now the exciting research is with SpaceX, for example. Right. Uh, exactly. Well, it's kind of like how it used to be when you're an airline pilot was like, that was really something to be an airline pilot. Like when I was young, they had star status. They, you know, people ask for their autographs in the airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now they're just considered glorified bus drivers. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. Definitely NASA yeah. is in a way overrated at this point. So just from like what they're doing now, I feel like it's more like uh, sitting on their laurels, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody yes. thinks it's cool being at NASA. But I don't think it's anything, anything special from engineering perspective. You know, a lot of better things happen in other places. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, I think... Uh, in the United States in particular, is that most of the funding goes to the military. Um, so yeah. then it becomes that, you know, if you want to do all the exciting research, uh, you have to get a job at, uh, you know, one of the Boeing companies, I guess, or, you know, making I was just uh, weapons. thinking that, yeah, weapons. And, Everything you know, about not, weapons. Yeah, and to me, you know, that's one of those things I really don't want to contribute to. Um, yeah, so. I don't blame you. Yeah. So yeah. right now I'm, I'm working on uh, automation, which I guess it's problematic from one side. Mm-hmm. Uh, of I guess people worried about that taking jobs, um, but uh, I mean it's not killing anybody. I guess from one side. No. But then also, I think I mean automation is a future that we cannot avoid uh, because. Um, no, and if we didn't have overpopulation, we wouldn't have a problem yeah. with it yeah. taking jobs away. As you and I know. Yeah. So yeah. it is inevitable that things will be automated. And there are certain things I would like, wouldn't you, oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah, to be actually, automated? Yeah, I actually worked yeah. a lot of jobs that are uh, super mundane where one does robotics stuff. Yeah. And I, I think people uh, end up like, like it's a, like a mental issue, just like, you know, you're yes. doing the same movement processing, like it's uh it's not something that people are meant to do, really. People are meant yeah, to like exactly advance, not do yes. the exact thing over and so over again. It, it frees us to do more creative things. Yeah, and and so it will become a quite a positive once we get our population under control. But I look at automation as it's just the forward movement that will happen. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, and also with the government structure uh, where you know the way it is now that. Uh, with corporations owning everything, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the benefit automation doesn't necessarily end up with the people. No, I know even, that. Even though it yeah. could be, you know, so that's one of those things that, you know, if the government was structured in a better way where, you know, we could through automation, uh, like create a lot of things for people pretty much for free, you know, because, um, you know, mm-hmm. things are done with just a few people then, uh, and with maybe like a little bit of taxes, you know, you can fund the operation to like grow food, automatically for a large amount of people Mm -hmm. Um, and you know so that would actually then um provide a benefit so that people don't have to work uh you know like the what's called a 996 system i think that's in china they call that um and that's uh you're supposed to work from 9 a.m to 9 p.m six days a week oh my gosh i know 
Are you familiar <laughs> with them? Do you, I don't know if you read uh, a lot, but there, there's an author named um, Neil Stevenson. Are you familiar with, um, he wrote um, Cryptonomicron. Oh, I have not, no. Um, his books are, I have to listen to him now because I don't have time to sit and read, you know, stuff like that. I, all my reading is usually the teaching or news or whatever. But so I listen to him on audiobooks while I garden and do things. His books, I think you would find he's brilliant. His books are fascinating and there are things in the future. And um, the book Cryptonomicron is kind of the, is the opposite. It kind of goes into the past and it talks about Alan Turing. That was my first experience really yeah. exposure to Alan Turing and years and years ago before he became a, so well known now mm -hmm. and his books are fascinating. There's a book called the diamond age. I think you'd find really interesting. I just have, because you're an engineer, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he must be an engineer also, but he writes these books of fiction that are like science fiction, but there's a lot of fact, you know what I mean? I, uh, I Neil Stevenson. Neil Stevenson. Yeah, yes. look it up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I highly. Oh, his books are amazing. Hmm. Yeah, I read him and think, God, I I'm dumb. <laughs> He's just so brilliant. I always feel kind of dumb when I read his books, but you know, they're just that good. And uh, he thinks on a different level. Mm -hmm. And and you'll see that if if you check out any of his work. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, With that. Well, go ahead. What? Oh yeah, thanks for the recommendation. I'll check yeah, it out. Sure. sure. You're you're welcome. And so with that I do have to go. Oh, okay, so. yeah, sorry for holding you up too long. Uh, yeah, that's all right. Oh. No, it was really interesting. That's why I keep talking to you, but I gotta go. So, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. so, <laughs> so have well, a good uh, evening. <laughs> yeah, you have a good evening. Thanks. Uh, okay. and uh, look forward to our uh, yeah, presentation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Okay, next week. See you next time. Yep. Okay. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. What is the most astounding fact you can share with us about the universe? The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge that the atoms that comprise life on Earth, the atoms that make up the human body, are traceable to the crucibles that cooked light elements into heavy elements in their core under extreme temperatures and pressures these stars the high mass ones among them went unstable in their later years they collapsed and then exploded scattering their enriched guts across the galaxy guts made of carbon nitrogen oxygen and all the fundamental ingredients of life itself these ingredients become part of gas clouds that condense collapse form the next generation of solar systems stars with orbiting planets and those planets now have the ingredients for life itself so that when i look up at the night sky and i know that yes we are part of this universe we are in this universe but perhaps more important than both of those facts is that the universe is in us. When I reflect on that fact, I look up. Many people feel small because they're small and the universe is big, but I feel big. Because my atoms 
came from those stars. There's a level of connectivity. That's really what you want in life. You want to feel connected. You want to feel relevant. You want to feel like a, you're a participant in the goings-on of activities and events around you. That's precisely what we are, just by being alive. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reality Ranch Podcast. The clip with Neil deGrasse Tyson was provided to me courtesy of Sanyan Derek. Until next time, Salome.